As any parent of a high school student knows, it's hard to rouse a sleeping teenager. When children enter puberty, physiological changes alter their natural sleep cycles, making it harder to get to sleep at night and to wake up early in the morning. For this reason, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that high schools start at 8.30 a.m. or later. But the vast majority of U.S. high schools, 87% at last count in 2015, begin earlier. Just how serious a problem is sleep deprivation among American teenagers? And would middle and high school students perform better in school if we let them sleep in? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Jennifer Heisel, assistant professor in the Graduate School of Business and Public Policy at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Along with Sam Norris of the University of Chicago, Jenny is co-author of the new article, Rise and Shine, how school start times affect academic performance, which you can find in the summer 2019 issue of the journal and online at educationnext.org. Jenny, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thanks for having me. So you're a researcher who spans the boundaries of human development and education policy. So it seems like you're particularly well positioned to help us understand the science behind the issue of school start times. Why exactly is it hard for teenagers to wake up in the morning harder than it is for both adults and for younger children? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, when you go to sleep, it's partly determined, obviously, by the choices you make, but it's also affected by biology. So we all have a variety of hormones coursing through our bodies at all times, and one of the ones that's important for sleep is called melatonin. You might have heard of it. Um, and melatonin helps because it keeps your body sort of stay on a schedule. And it helps through that process um, by signals from the sun. So when it's dark outside, your melatonin production goes up. Uh, Then sunlight in the morning sort of suppresses your melatonin production. And it turns out as children go through puberty, their nighttime melatonin production is delayed by several hours, um, which is why adolescents tend to want to go to bed later than younger kids or their parents. Their bodies are telling them to stay awake at later and later times as they go through puberty. And consistent with that, you explain in the article that what really matters when we're looking at the issue of school start times is then not so much the time on the clock, but rather relative start times. That is how the, I guess, how school start times varies relative to when the sun rises. Is that right? Yeah. So it's not just that clock on a wall that matters for sleep. Sunlight is also sending those signals to your body about what it should be doing. So uh, we kind of took advantage of that for this study. Um, And we don't just look at the clock start times of schools. Instead, we're looking at how much sunlight students experience in the morning before the school bell rings. Um, And so we call the number of hours of sunlight before school the relative start time to sort of distinguish it from what people uh, traditionally think of as the start time, which is the clock on the wall, what time the bell rings. And in carrying out this work, you're focusing in on students in the Florida panhandle. What is it about that setting that's useful from the perspective of research design? Yeah, so sometimes the most surprising part of this particular paper to people is uh, that Florida actually has two time zones. So uh, everyone knows that most of Florida is in the eastern time zone, but part of Florida up in the panhandle, so to the west, is actually in the central time zone. So we end up focusing on schools in the Florida panhandle for this paper. Um, And so schools on either side of the time zone boundary look pretty much the same as the other within the panhandle. They even start at about the same clock time, according to the clocks on the wall. 
But because of this time zone shift in the middle, that means they're getting very different signals from the sun depending, of, uh, depending on what side of that time zone boundary they're on. And particularly the central time zone kids are getting a lot more sunlight in the morning, which might sort of help them wake up, whereas eastern time zone kids get that sunlight at the end of the day, which uh, might push their bedtimes later. And so we can watch kids as they move across that time zone boundary, and we um, um, see them on each side of the time zone boundary. And then we, uh, it turns out we see a drop in their performance We're on the eastern side of that boundary. So you're going to focus in on students who are making moves from one side of the boundary to another within this set of school districts that comprise the Florida panhandle. Um, I imagine that some listeners might say, but certainly it's not random who moves. And in fact, just the very act of moving could have an influence on students' performance in school. So how do you address those types of concerns? We were definitely concerned that there just could be some sort of moving effect. And so the students that we really focus in on are folks who in general make a large move. So some of those folks are making large moves within the central time zone. We define that as 25 miles or more although we tried a variety of different cutoffs, get about the same thing. Some of them are moving around in the eastern time zone. Some of them are moving around in the western time zone. And some of them are moving across the time zone boundary, either east to west or west to east. And where we see a particularly large drop in performance is just the kids who are moving uh, from this uh, central time zone to that eastern time zone, where we see a pretty dramatic drop in their performance. And we see a, a bump in performance that's happening uh, when they move from the eastern to the central time zone. And we don't see similar sort of changes when we're just looking at kids who are moving around within the same sort of time zone. So it's not just a, a movement effect. It's something particular to uh, uh, the, the direction of their moves. So just how much does a later start time matter for student learning if you look across the entire sample of movers that you're comparing? If uh, my school starts an hour later relative to the sun after I make a move, how much of a difference would that make? So it's about 8% of a standard deviation for adolescents in math and about 6% of a standard deviation in reading. Uh, the younger kids also have a small positive benefit in reading, and those are pretty big effects in terms of educational um, uh, outcomes. So there's um, some fairly sizable moves just from the amount of sunlight, um, an extra hour of sunlight in the morning. And you just alluded to the fact that you find larger effects for what you refer to as adolescents rather than younger students. I assume that you don't have data on exactly who has started to have their voice changed. So how do you go about identifying the adolescent students? Yeah, ideally we would. You know, we know exactly uh, all about their biology, but this is just administrative data from the state of Florida. So we don't know uh, uh, who's gone through puberty and who hasn't. But we do know, on average, when kids tend to go through puberty. Um, and in particular, girls start to have um, uh, kind of the big changes happening earlier by a couple of years than the boys. And we do find that girls uh, tend to do worse uh, after they move to the Eastern time zone. Um, that, that kind of negative effect of having less sunlight before school happens in girls a couple of years before it happens in the boys. And the timing exactly coincides when we would expect them to be going through those kind of key stages of puberty on average. And so this pattern of findings where you see larger effects for students who are more likely to have gone through puberty really does suggest, I think, that biological factors where we started the conversation really are what's at play. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's really helpful to just 
point out and find some evidence that it is biologically driven. Kids aren't just, you know, choosing to stay up later, and so it's their fault, right? Uh, it's they're being biologically driven to stay up later, and they biologically want to wake up later as well. That matters for policy. Because um, then you can't necessarily just try to make the kids fit on the school schedules because their bodies are working against that. Instead, maybe we should try to make the school schedules work a little bit better for the kids. It's hard to change school schedules, as we'll talk about in a minute, <clears throat> but uh, it may be even harder to change student biology, I guess. Uh, yeah. So uh, now when students' schools start earlier, I assume that this also means that they take the state tests that you're using to measure their learning earlier in the day when they may be less alert. So is it possible that some of what you're finding actually just reflects a test day effect and perhaps maybe less important than it would be were it a consequence of reduced learning over the course of an entire school year? Yeah, we were definitely worried about that too. And uh, luckily for us, um, over the time frame, so we're looking at this over many years and, uh, over those many years, the test times in the state of Florida were moving around, including before and after daylight savings time shifts in the spring. And so we can use that variation in uh, test timing to examine if this is really all about short-term testing time or if it's more about the long-term environment that the students are learning in over the course of the school year. Um, and just broadly speaking, the evidence really points more to learning um, rather than a test day effect when it comes to math. In reading, it's a little bit more unclear, but the best conclusion that we kind of come to in the paper is that both sunlight during learning and sunlight on the test day itself might matter for the, the reading outcomes. But uh, for both of them, um, we kind of conclude that it's not just a test day effect, it also matters. The, the learning that's happening and the, the sleep that is affecting their learning matters over the course of the entire school year. So the solution isn't necessarily just to like, move tests later like on, on testing day itself. It's there's learning that's happening throughout the course of the school year. And so the students would be helped by moving school start times later overall. And given the types of administrative data that you're working with, is it possible to say anything about the more specific mechanisms that are resulting in less learning? For example, do we know whether students are missing school more often when their schools start early or whether they're completing less homework? Uh, or do we have to sort of say, it's a consequence of the biology, but we can't go much beyond that. It's a little bit hard to go beyond that. Um, particularly, we were looking at uh, absences, for instance. But the problem with um, the way absences are recorded changes around the same time that um, uh, kids are going through puberty. Just elementary school, the way that um, elementary schools record absence um, might be just one time a day compared to um, middle school, high schools, where they're kind of moving from class to class, the, the recording system ends up being a little bit different, at least in the, the data that we are looking at in the state of Florida. And the patterns were really significantly different as you looked across school type, which made it very difficult for us to tease out, um, you know, what exactly was happening here, what the mechanism is. I think that's an area that um, is definitely important. You can tell stories, like people who have, have teenagers can tell you stories about, you know, kids too tired to do their homework or um, like my kids falling asleep in first period, my kids whatever. Uh, but I think there's there's um, more to do to get that particular um, mechanisms exactly down. But what this research can tell us is that there is a relationship to the sunlight that is that the students are experiencing. So it seems to me that your paper with Sam Norris here represents 
to date the strongest evidence because it takes advantage of this natural experiment that school start times relative to the sun really do matter for student learning. But we should acknowledge that really this is just one important addition to a quite large body of evidence at this point that sleep deprivation can be a real problem for teenagers. The Center for Disease Control warns that adolescents who don't get enough sleep are more likely to be overweight, to exercise infrequently, to engage in risky behaviors like drinking and smoking. And as I noted at the outset, we have groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics who recommend that all middle and high schools start after 8.30 and so few American middle and high schools actually do. Why do you think our schools and high schools in particular start so early in the first place? I mean, there's probably there's a lot of reasons, right? Parents are trying to get their kids to school before work, and so that's, you know, a certain cutoff they're trying to start school before. People are worried about after-school activities being cut or going too late uh, if school gets out later. Maybe the practice fields don't have the right lights. You know, those, those sort of concerns will come up. Uh, getting out earlier, getting out uh, of school earlier lets students have after-school jobs. There are also some districts that have the same buses dropping off students at elementary, middle, and high schools. Um, so they have to stagger start time so they can use the same buses to, to run all of those different routes um, try, in an effort to try to save some money. And someone has to go earliest when you're trying to do that. So if you send the adolescents to school later uh, but want to keep the same sort of schedule, then you're going to have to send the younger kids to school earlier, which could mean that the elementary school kids are waiting for the bus in the dark, which might be dangerous, right? And so there's all sorts of reasons why schools end up um, kind of sticking with the the status quo. The status quo is often easier than making a change um, as well. But at this point, I would say the the evidence is overwhelmingly, I, I would agree with your assessment, that it's overwhelmingly in favor of moving school start times later for the adolescents. Uh, but there are going to be trade-offs uh, that, that school districts and parents are going to have to confront with that. It seems to me that one part of the story is that at any point in time, you will have a group of parents who have essentially built their lives and their routines around whatever the district status quo is with respect to school start times and end times. And so changing it is always going to be painful. Um, but there is this cost consideration, the idea that it is uh, you know, more uh, efficient to have one set of school buses taking students multiple times. And so that points in the direction for a cost neutral uh, strategy to simply be to switch elementary school start times with those for middle and high schools so that the former start early and the latter, which serve more adolescent students, start later. Based on your results in Florida, can you sort of give us a sense of what the consequences of that kind of change would be? Yeah, so we simulated what would happen if we reordered all of the districts to send their elementary school students uh, to school first, followed by middle, then to high school. Uh, but in the simulation, we kept the, kept the district average start time and the spacing between start times about the same. So they could still run on the same sort of schedule that they were doing before. It's just that they're doing it in the, the more uh, uh, biologically correct order for the kids. Um, and then we use our estimates to approximate what would happen if districts act actually implemented this strategy. Um, there's a slight dip in the elementary performance by getting sent to school a little bit earlier, but it's more than made up for uh, by pretty big increases uh, and gains to the high school students who end up doing much better in this, this sort of strategy. 
Um, of course, that was just trying to keep the same average school start time in each district overall. Um, but if, you know, a district is concerned about sending their elementary school kids to school first when they might be waiting for bus, the bus in the dark, another probably better option would just be to move the average start time later, especially for those older kids. Um, so they might not have the same start time as they did before, but it's going to likely boost test scores across the board. Now, this research has been around for some time in working paper version uh, at first, and it appeared recently with all of the technical details in the Journal of Human Resources. So I'm curious about the uh, level of interest you've had in the findings from the field. Do you see sort of a lot of districts interested in trying to, uh, I guess, make their schedules more biologically correct or... uh, has it been uh, quieter? So there are various organizations that are dedicated to trying to move school start times later, and so they they love this paper. I haven't got a lot of uh, um, questions or uh, you know feedback from uh, districts themselves, even though I'd love to talk to them. Um, but you know those sort of organizations that are trying to push this have definitely been reaching out, um, and it's it's. And I think it is something that if you just talk to parents of high schoolers, like it's not surprising that uh, school start times could matter. It's not surprising that kids are tired. Uh, I first became interested in this topic in, I think it was ninth grade when I was on the speech team, and I had to pick some topic to give a, a speech about. I had to, you know, convince people of something. And my chosen topic was that we should start school later. So, you know, high school students feel this, at least I did. Um, uh, and it's, it's something that um, I think is with the, like, every week it seems more evidence is coming out in favor of moving school start times later. And so I hope uh, we can get districts to start to sort of heed that advice. On the other hand, I, I totally acknowledge that there, um, there are trade-offs, right? Like, if you're trying to move the, the high school kids later, then the, like, what are you going to do with the elementary kids? Kids waiting for them, them waiting for the bus in the dark is not something that uh, um, anybody probably wants. And so just um, there are trade-offs to be made, and um, until we can figure out those trade-offs, I think there's going to continue to be pushback on this policy. My guest today has been Jennifer Heisel. You can find her article, Rise and Shine, in the summer 2019 issue of Education Next and online at educationnext.org. Jenny, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive and, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.